I don't think I do a good job of concealing this, but Wilco is my favorite band. The No Wristbands crew holds them in very high regard as well. My dad introduced them to me when I was in high school, and I was immediately hooked. To get the chance to sit down and talk with Glenn Kochi, the drummer of Wilco, was surreal in the best way possible. Glenn grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and fell in love with drums at a very young age. Following college, he moved back to Chicago and quickly found his musical community. He taught drum lessons and played anywhere and everywhere he could. He met Jim O'Rourke and eventually met Jeff Tweedy, and the rest is history, joining Wilco in 2000. In addition to drumming in Wilco, Glenn has released several critically acclaimed solo albums. If you can believe it, he's an even nicer and more generous person than you could ever imagine. Uh, so I wanted to again say thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with us on the podcast. He joins the No Wristband crew to talk about his musical journey, his creative process, and his excitement for the latest Wilco tour. Papa and I look forward to seeing him in Iceland for their residency at the beginning of April. As always, please give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and join our Facebook group, No Wristbands, We Drink for Free. Please make sure you also check out our bi-monthly blog post, Dig In, to find out about upcoming No Wristbands approved shows and record reviews. All right, welcome to our newest episode of No Wristbands, We Drink for Free. This is Papa Novak here with uh, with my normal co-host, Mark Joyner. Hey, hey, welcome I'm, back. I'm back, thank you. And we are beyond excited uh, today to uh, be getting get the chance to talk to Glenn Kochi. Um, and so, Glenn, welcome and thanks for doing the show. No problem, great to be here. All right. Yeah. I left uh, my wristbands at home. <laughs> <laughs> thank God. We hate those wristbands. Yeah. Uh so we have to start at the beginning. Uh, when did you start playing drums? Um, okay, we're going all the way back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess when I was a toddler, if you want to get that, uh, you know, technically, you know, <laughs> toy drums and stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I can date it from that um, is because I remember um, my one of my older sisters gave me a toy drum uh, for my birthday, and I remember destroying it <laughs> with my one of my younger or other sisters who was younger than the, the sister who gave it to me and putting the sticks through the head and laughing and thinking it was hilarious <laughs> and not realizing until right after that, Oh, I can't play this anymore. Uh, oh, no. was, yeah. And I was crushed. And so then I got a, another kind of toy tin paperhead drum set when I was six, I think for Christmas. And I took impeccable care of that. Wow. Yeah. It's still, it, it never <laughs> broke a head, barely dented it. Cause I, I learned my lesson, uh-huh. but I think actually at that age, I started to identify as a, uh, as a drummer. And then as soon as I was able to start taking lessons and get in the school band program and all that, that happened officially around age 10. Wow. That's awesome. So, Do you still have that drum? No, the well, the one got tossed, and then the other one. I remember my parents made me throw away the uh, the little kit, the toy uh-huh. kit. They were yeah. like, "Nope, you have a real drum set. Okay. You can pick one." And obviously, I picked that one, but I do wish I had it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. early regret. Yeah, my dad at one point had a a gold Les Paul that he sold, and then like the rest of his life, he, he was like, ah, "Should never sold that." Yeah, I don't think I know a musician who doesn't have at least one gear, gear right, regret. Right, right, right. Um, so it sounds like you were immediately hooked on drums. Uh, was it always something, I know you went to college to play drums, or not to play drums, but for a career in per- per- percussion, hey, I can talk, in uh, music theory and all that good stuff. So was you were like always like tunnel vision, I'm going to be a professional musician? Uh, yeah. I mean, I knew I just loved playing drums, mm-hmm. and I, I do also recall telling my parents when I was still in grade school that I was going to major 
in, mu- in percussion performance. Yeah. And I even gave him like a list of some schools because they were <laughs> a bit skeptical. But I think after, you know, they saw how serious I was and mm-hmm. how much I practiced and after solo contests and all that kind of stuff. Um, and being the youngest of six kids, I think they cared a little less about my career path. <laughs> they were a lot more mellow. I, I can, I can uh-huh. say with uh, full confidence that my eldest four siblings had no choice. Like, Well, they, I mean, they got to pick their career, but there's no way they would have been allowed to go to music school. Mm-hmm. Even though my dad's a musician, but um, yeah. Uh, what does he play? He always played uh, accordion and piano and oh, organ. Nice. And, you know, played professionally semi-professionally like he or i guess professionally yeah he would sub on the on the bozo show for any of you chicago wow wow yeah Yeah. so he subbed that and he would do i remember he'd do like weekend gigs with um cookie the clown and wizzo magician he would do gigs like that but scoop here man i mean as soon as he had started having kids he also had a a day job but he always i was amazed because even at the height of my teaching post-college, when I joined Wilco, I was teaching 50 students a week. Oh, wow. At uh, several different high schools, you know, mm-hmm. from age like yeah. eight to co- through college. Man. But um, he, for decades, kept up uh, a studio. Well, not a studio. He'd go to their houses of, of like 80 people. My goodness. Wow. wow. Yeah. And that was on top of his regular job. So yeah. any sort cow. of work ethic that I might have uh-huh. definitely comes from that. <laughs> sure. But I guess that's also the motivation when you have yeah. four kids in college at once. And, yeah, and yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so he got yeah. to you, he's like, to, he's like, yeah. fine, yeah, go to music college. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was University of Kentucky on your list that you presented to your parents at a young age? Not at that age. Okay. I, I okay. wasn't aware of the percussion program. In fact, the percussion program at that age wouldn't have even been uh, a program yet because hmm. it, it I think it started with Jim Campbell, my, my professor who I studied mm-hmm. under. I think that's when they officially created the, the position and made a percussion track. And he built that into a pretty world-class studio. Wow. Recruiting wow. All, over, all over the country. That's and amazing. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of great talent from within the state, but all over the country, too. Did you have anybody in high school that was inspiring you? Yeah. Well, I mean, early on from junior high, um, and I don't know if I've ever even talked about this, but... Uh, well, first of all, my, I got really lucky with an amazing uh, band director, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Wiss at Roselle Middle School. Mm-hmm. He was really encouraging, and he could see that I had a, a you know an unusual passion for it, mm-hmm. and some talent to go with it. So he hooked me up with a really good teacher right out of the gates um, in fifth or sixth grade, and that was fantastic. And then also a former student of his. Um, was getting a percussion degree at Northern Illinois mm-hmm. University, and he hooked us up. Um, and I, he actually lived, he went to high school, same, same grade school as me, same high school, um, and he lived maybe only about a half mile, three quarters of a mile away. So I started mm-hmm. taking lessons from him during the summer, and his name was Dean Gronemeyer. And he actually got his PhD in percussion and was still is the the... the percussion professor at UNLV wow. for oh, wow. decades and the director of the school of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I was lucky to have those yeah. guys. And then of course in high school, um, I went to a super competitive, uh, um, music program, mm-hmm. uh, the Lake Park high school, um, especially in marching, but you know, they had concert band, jazz band, all that sure. stuff. Mm-hmm. But the marching program was very intense and competitive And that director, Ken Snook, he also had his master's in percussion. Wow. And so, I studied with him as well. So I just had a lot, yeah. I had access to a lot of great teachers Yeah, and, you know, and thank God, you know, <clears> my <throat> parents had the means, I guess, because yeah. 
you know, three jobs between the two of them to, to pay for the lessons. Yeah, so amazing. I was really fortunate sure. in that regard. But wow. Yeah. That's so cool to be able to grow up with around in and around people who are so talented and able mm-hmm. to not like, you know, some people like Michael Jordan is an amazing basketball player, but he's not like a good coach. Right. But mm-hmm. somebody to be that talented and be able to like coach and help you grow. That's, that's really special. Yeah. And actually, you know, in high school as well, then I uh, had two fantastic teachers who I mm-hmm. still am in touch with all the time, Kevin Lepper and Mike Scioto. And they're both, they were both master teachers, our master teachers. Mm-hmm. And so I got really lucky to have access to them too. So yeah, I think I just hit the jackpot as far as resources, sure. um, you know, for instructors mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and some other guys in the area too. I had a lot of private teachers. Tom hmm. Tedron was another one. Fantastic. Were, were you teaching before you graduated college? Like, did you teach on the side in, in yeah. high school and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I worked in a bakery and cut a lot of grass for mm-hmm. people, <laughs> but also I did start teaching because through my dad, he had some students who were like, Hey, we want to take drums. He was uh-huh. like, my son's a drummer. And so yeah. I would do, you know, kind of unofficial lessons in high school and then in college um, quite a bit. I worked at the music store, um, a music store, Don Wilson Music in Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And then my summers, uh, by that point, I was only doing music. So my summers, I would teach marching band camps. Wow. Um, and that was how I made my money for the year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always think it's so interesting up here. Marching bands like that's OK. That's cool. But like in the South, it's like a huge deal. And I was yeah. like, man, like kids there are like that. They're like the best, like the coolest kids at school. The ones who are in the band. Right. Was right. Like, That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I got l- lucky in that respect too. And I don't mean to like trash talk my, my old <laughs> high school, but at that point in time, there weren't really any, um, athletic teams that were standing out yeah. for mm-hmm. the years that I was there in the marching band was, you know, placing top top three top five at nationals wow, every year, state champs for you know over a decade and so so Congrats. it was it was kind of like you know the the band kids didn't have that same um uh, situation and connotation that you see in a lot of mm-hmm. movies where we're the you know butt of jokes and stuff yeah it was like actually like no we were the thing that was successful <laughs> about so the school awesome. so maybe it came with more respect than would have gotten otherwise <laughs> uh, did you or you obviously did who were some of your musical influences whether it be drums or anything else when you were growing up well i'm always kind of envious of my bandmates because i feel like they had access to cooler records than i did (laughs) (laughs) i grew up um i guess kind of sheltered in that respect out in the burbs um but uh i I, you know initially it was just whatever uh my siblings were listening to so Mm -hmm. at that point there was a lot of arena rock Oh, cool. mm-hmm. So yeah, when I was in single digits, I was a huge REO Speedwagon. Nice. My, my first concert when I was ten at Poplar Creek, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Graduated Survivor and REO. Yeah. Um, and you know, That's awesome. and probably for a little spell their journey because they had a really good drummer. But no, then mm-hmm. it, it quickly. Well, also I have to say we would we would do these um, family vacations for two weeks every summer when my dad mm-hmm. got two weeks a year off mm-hmm. and we would camp because we had too many people to stay in hotels <laughs> sure. or fly or yeah. anything. And I remember going at, uh, stopping at these truck stops, going to Wisconsin a few times mm-hmm. and they had, um, Gene Krupa cassettes who was like, you know, one of the first sure. amazing, uh, you know, he kind of popularized the drum solo. He played with Benny Goodman mm-hmm. and sing, sing, sing and all that. And anyway, so I was exposed to a lot of big band drumming way earlier than I probably would have been otherwise. So that was a big influence. And then also, um, 
you know, just from being in percussion, I also listened to classical music because I was playing, you know, that that sort of thing in orchestra and band. Mm-hmm. But um, but also like pretty early on, I became a huge Zeppelin fan. Like my yeah. first record was that. So and I started <laughs> rock bands. I think in fifth and sixth grade, I started getting in rock bands. Um, and so we were just playing at that point metal. It was like Judas yeah. Priest mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, Sabbath, sure, and, and Zeppelin and yeah, things like that, basically. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, how, so were you, at that time you were just playing covers, or are you starting to do original music at that point? No, just covers in junior high, and then that band dissolved. And then in high school, I was saved by two guys who I knew, <laughs> I had seen from solo contests. They were sure. at a different school, mm-hmm. but in high school, we were on the same school. Um, uh, Mike Cruz and Craig Christensen, still two of my closest friends, mm-hmm. and we had biology class together freshman year, and they were forming a band, and I was one of the drummers they were considering. Okay. And I think I definitely had the coolest drum set at that point <laughs> um, because I had worked so hard, sure. you know, and I convinced my parents, like, for I think it was like two years of Christmases and birthdays and graduation yeah. and like confirmation, all these you're things on, together. You're on future credit at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, okay. got, I got a drum set. Um, mm-hmm that was more professional level and it was super cool double bass all that sure Thomas, <laughs> it looked frighteningly similar to neil peart's <laughs> who was by this time in high school a major influence along with yeah. Stuart uh-huh. copeland and oh, of course Stuart copeland. i can't even i i shouldn't forget this is such a long answer to your question no i'm but ringo of course too, yeah because i had a bunch of 45s from my siblings that i would listen to um, when I was a kid, before before high school, so yeah. I knew I was pretty well versed in, in the Beatles stuff too. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, this drum set, which by the way is the first, is the kid I played with my first Wilco show. <laughs> That's same, awesome. The same drum set. I uh, told yeah. my parents like I can use this forever, and it's it's up at the <laughs> wow. loft. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, able so to take great. a picture uh, with Getty Lee in front of it when he visited the loft because it's it is a Neil Peart knockoff. That's so good. Kind of, Fewer drums, of course. It's not that insane, uh-huh. but um, but yeah. So I still have that up there. I use that on the um, recording Illimac, uh, mm-hmm. which is a classical piece John Luther Adams wrote for me, and it requires, you know, four toms, uh, <laughs> mount or five, no, six mounted toms, double bass, the whole thing. So that's the kit I used. Love it. Um, and I think maybe I answered your question. Yeah, you did oh, yeah. for oh, sure. No, 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 I was gonna say so that when I was in high school, that was the heyday of the hair metal bands. Yeah. And that's what everyone was listening to. But luckily, Mike and Craig from biology class were totally into classic rock. Mm -hmm. And so when we started our band, we were just doing Stones and Beatles Mm -hmm. and Clash and Romantics and things like that. And that ended up being um, sweet for parties because then I started like we started playing parties freshman year. Yeah. Um, And we were maybe there was one other band maybe at the high school. So we were playing, you know, senior parties. Mm -hmm. Wow. you know, all four years, quite a bit for all different groups, which was super cool. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. for the, the punk kids or the yeah, jocks yeah. or the band right. kids or whoever. So yeah. it was nice. That definitely got me out of my shell. And I think, yeah, every, everybody in high school me, knew you. Yeah. Maybe, maybe saved me from nerdum. I wouldn't say they all knew me, but yeah, they, they knew the bandages. They knew the guys up front. Okay. You know, uh, but yeah. Uh, so two quick questions. What was the name of the band? Like high school bands always oh, have awesome God, names. Awful. <laughs> it could have been the Crusade. One of the like, like. You know, Crusaders of Funk? No. no. Okay. No, not the, it's just, yeah. it's a Joe. He's in a funk cover band called the Funk Crusaders. Okay. No. So it was the Crusade at that point or the Funk? And another point, it changed a lot of names. And oh, then it's ended so up, good. Uh, Prophet Sound with the, 
F's and then Cross Cooks it ended up eventually. But yeah, I still make music with both those guys. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, Craig, that's Craig awesome. I recorded with at the Loft two weeks ago and uh-huh. Mike I record with when I'm in New York and I see him every time I'm in New York. That's great. Yeah, so yeah. That's got to be a cool call to get from your friend being like, hey, you want to come by the loft? Let's record some music. Well, yeah, he was making new music, and I was like, hey, I'm still your drummer, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Did he make you audition again? No. Yeah, if we do it at the loft, then yeah. I have to move, move my gear. Uh, so <laughs> quick, uh, my other thing is quick tangent on Ringo. Uh, did you watch Get Back? Yes. How he it's, I think it's amazing. He just supposed to sit there and watch and then just like drop in like the beat that you've heard a million times and you're like, right. where did he pull that from? Yeah. He's an amazing drummer. He is. And he was the glue too. He's such a, uh, a beautiful presence in the studio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I was also just geeking out on some of the gear things because that's when he switched <laughs> kits, you know, yeah. and had some different symbols and some things. It was mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. That was a good time for you. Yeah. Uh, so you go to University of Kentucky mm-hmm. and you, you study and you come back here. What, uh, what is Chicago like at that time? What is, you said you had 50 students. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. are and, you, and what was your plan at the Yeah. Time? What's your like, plan? What, like what, you get back to what Chicago, are you doing, what are you doing? I mean, my plan was to try to perform and play. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know necessarily what I always loved playing in rock bands. That was my main thing. I knew midway through college I wasn't going to audition for a symphony. I knew, like, you know, I love playing timpani. I love all that stuff, marimba vibes. But I kind of knew, like, drum set was what I wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got back to Chicago, I just, like, basically the same attitude I had in college. I just didn't say no to anything. Wow, so, okay. like, in college, you know, I played in, uh, uh, it was like, uh, you know, a ragtime ensemble. I played for the <laughs> girls pep band which is kind wow. of sort of a fusion band okay. mm-hmm. i played in you know marching band percussion ensemble for the opera orchestra um you know would do played for dance classes like mm-hmm. anything and everything that came my way musicals i did musicals my all through mm-hmm. high school and college um so it was just kind of like whatever doors would open yeah but i knew i wanted to make a go at it at least with my my band and so we you know upon graduation got a place in uptown and just started playing um, you know, it, summers before, while we were in college, we started playing bars in Chicago. Okay. Okay. Um, so just continued that and then just started kind of playing with a, whoever I met. And so you don't have an agent at this point. You're just like an agent. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You don't have, you no, don't have management. You don't have people just, representing you. You're just going and being like, Hey, do you need a drummer? How do you need a drummer? Well, How's no, that? I was, I was making, I was, I mean, I was making no money. I was, you know, I remember sure. when I met my wife, I was still making under $5,000 a year. And that was several years on in. Yeah. But uh-huh. I was teaching to be able to right. eat and mm-hmm. pay for insurance and rent and all that stuff. Yeah. So that's, I would drive out to the suburbs and teach at Libertyville sure. High School or Naperville or Wheaton or mm-hmm. uh, Vernon Hills, wherever. Mm-hmm. And then I would cram all of that into three days typically or three and a half days and then the rest of the time i would just practice and try and and you know get out and read and listen and do you know see what the scene was like right which was a great time for chicago because that was kind of like the the heyday of post rock Mm -hmm. um, which i know all those people hate that term but (laughs) there were great you know some great records being made some really interesting stuff happening in chicago in a beautiful like uh um collaborative spirit mm-hmm. uh, between, yeah. between genres, right, between right. the jazz and improv and free improv scene and the rock world and all that. And so it was more like my band would play at, 
you know, uh, Shuba's or at the, this place was called Wrigley side or whatever, mm -hmm. or gallery cabaret or mm -hmm. whatever in, uh, uh, martyrs. And if there was another band on the bill, you know, hang out. And sometimes that's how I started basically mm -hmm. playing with people because sure. they'd be like, Oh, Hey, um, would you record this with me? Or, Hey, do you want to do a gig with me? And yeah. just meeting people that way. Do you think that, uh, you know, we've read Bruce Adams book. He's been on the pod. Do you think that's like a, a strictly Chicago thing? Or do you think there, that, that kind of culture existed in other cities at that time? I don't know enough uh, at that time specifically, but I, I think it was pretty unique to Chicago because a lot yeah. of other places I've been to, and, and I was touring by then. There's actually two things I should add that I'm missing here, but I didn't necessarily glimpse that in other places. It was mm -hmm. a lot more gang-like, you know, like, yeah. hey, we do our thing, and you do your thing, and bands <laughs> don't, you know what I mean? It was, mm -hmm. But um, what I wanted to say is when I was in college, my last, after my senior recital, my last semester, I started playing out a lot more down mm -hmm. there, and that's when I met uh, a guy, Steve Poulton, a fantastic bass player, musician, and we started playing in some bands around town, and he happened to be the bass player in this group, Paul K and the Weathermen. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Paul had a record deal, indie record deals, mm -hmm. but he was, he was, um, you know, a tour and that, uh, I guess that relationship with Steve led for me eventually auditioning and the audition was hilarious because for Paul K, mm -hmm. um, cause it was a live radio performance that was being <laughs> no recorded pressure. for a compilation record. <laughs> so luckily it was only two songs, or uh -huh. two songs, but I remember driving to Detroit and and that was my audition. Wow. Was, was performing with him, with these guys for the <laughs> mm -hmm. first time. Or Steve I'd play with, but playing these songs with Paul and Steve for the first time at the radio station and then recording it and it going out live. But I passed the audition and yeah. then he started. So quickly after I moved back to Chicago, I was still playing with my high school band. From them meeting people, I started playing with Chris Mills mm -hmm. and Victoria Storm and some other people, and, but also touring with Paul Kay intermittently mm -hmm. um, around the US yeah. and in Europe. That's amazing. And then also um, I was doing some weddings and subbing and stuff like that too. Uh -huh. And I remember the first thing right when I got back to Chicago was um, I subbed for one of my teachers for a big band rehearsal, just a mm -hmm. rehearsal. So it was out in the burbs and it was at, and you know, one of the guys in the big band had an office gig. And so it was in a conference room at some big <laughs> oh, corporation shit. and there was a full, you know, whatever 20 piece big band. And I remember just setting up and just reading the charts and like subbing just so they had a drummer that night. But the bass player was also subbing this guy, Brian Chard, and he had bands in Chicago. He was in a really successful cover band. I think they were something for Joey... I think it was called anyway, but so he introduced me. He was in a band called Wild Boars that I started playing mm -hmm. with as well, and I met different people through him as well. And then, um, and I think it was Victoria Storm who I started playing with, who at the time was dating a man named Jim Becker. Mm -hmm. And when I met Jim, that's when I was really kind of introduced to that whole scene that was happening mm -hmm. in Wicker Park and Bucktown. Yeah. Because I didn't know any of those people. <clears throat> and Jim is just such an incredible musician. I don't know if you've had him on the show. If you haven't, you absolutely should. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, you know, he's one of my favorite musicians in the world and he can play anything. Um, but yeah, 
So between all of those situations, I was trying to just get out. And yeah. yeah. Anything yeah. that would come I mean, my way, I would it's, do. It's, man, when, yeah. when you said you didn't say no to anything, I mean, you literally didn't say no <laughs> yeah, to right. anything. Like, no. Yeah. And it was, yeah, because different people then I met Fred Longberg yeah. home and would start playing yeah. with him in trios. And then through mm-hmm. that, got into the imp- improvisation scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, through uh, meeting... Uh, uh, this uh, guy named Mike Daly that I was on a bill with with mm-hmm. Chris Mill at Metro. Through him, I met Edith Frost because he was playing with Edith mm-hmm. Frost. And then through her, I met the guys at the Truck Stop Studio on South Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so then I started playing with like Simon Joyner and Matt Mark and making all these records, Lofty Pillars, and doing all the Boxhead Ensemble mm-hmm. stuff and Charles Kim. And so it was just kind of like just spreading out in all these different yeah. areas and, and Bobby Kahn and meeting all these people and, and eventually Jim O'Rourke. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. And that's when everything changed. Yeah. Uh-huh. What, uh, what's your best Jim O'Rourke story? I'm just kidding. You don't have to give us one. No, just, I mean, it seems like there are no guy. shortage. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, God, uh, well maybe just the first, you know, I met him at an Edith, Edith Frost record release show cause he produced her first record mm-hmm. and I was in her touring band for a two, like a two week tour. We ended at lounge acts and I had, um, uh, a small like cocktail kit where the bass drum is the floor tom and I had a metal sculpture that I made with this metal artist in college uh-huh. um, and it was something made to play and um, it's actually in the, the first Loose Fur record it's in the liner notes okay. but mm-hmm. um, but I was playing that and I think Jim thought that, that was all interesting and he asked for my number <laughs> and I was like a massive Jim O'Rourke fan so <laughs> I was like yes this is incredible uh-huh. but then I never heard anything uh, <laughs> months passed and I remember this is going to sound bad but I was in a rehearsal with my band Bird Dog who I met Steve Poulton was also in that band mm-hmm. Bill Santon amazing singer songwriter Paul K produced our first record um, and I toured with him for years we did a lot of tours uh, opening for Elliot Smith Yeah, and I was able to make several records with him but I think I was in a rehearsal and Jim called and said, hey, can you come over to record? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. When, you know, what what, what day are you thinking? It's like 10 like, minutes from now? Yeah. yeah. He's like, can you come right now? And I was in the rehearsal. I was just like, oh, shoot. But I was like, guys, we're going to oh, take yeah. a little break. <laughs> uh, um, you know, we didn't, we weren't in a tight schedule. Yeah. We were rehearsing uh-huh. in my living room. Um, but then, yeah, and I just grabbed a few drums and went over to Jim's house. And I remember, uh, or his apartment. Um, and just setting them up and he was like, okay, just play along to this. And he put on a Burt Bacharach record <laughs> and the headphones. And I started playing, uh, I think it's called something big and it's off his record Eureka. Mm-hmm. And I was just playing along to it and he was like, okay, cool. And then he's like, can you play something to this? And I remember it was women of the world, which is maybe the lead off track on that record. It's yeah. an amazing song. Great album. And I just like played along and he was like, okay, cool. Got it. And like, that was my introduction. To <laughs> wow. I think he just liked that. I was, uh, I guess, um, low maintenance yeah, and, and somewhat agreeable and, and you know, uh, curious. Really yeah. Curious. Not, and not your really tip, typical all, rock drummer. Well, yeah. all the stuff that he was into, I was, right. I was really into, and yeah. I, you know, uh, a lot of it from, from studying him and mm-hmm. reading his liner notes and seeing like, Oh, he think this person, who's that? I got to check him out. Wow. Who John Fahey is or who's, you know, uh, AMM, who are they? Or like, you know, just yeah. different things like mm-hmm. that. That's really cool. Uh, I like that you having a weird instrument that you created is what like tipped him off to be like, I like this guy. Uh, when did you start getting that urge to be like, I could make my own percussion piece or instrument? Um, yeah, I don't, I think it was pretty early on because I remember having, 
I, well, uh, uh, this is so drum, drummer dork stuff. But <laughs> That's okay. I remember we're, what we're here for. Sixth or seventh grade at a drum lesson, playing through the book what was assigned to me, these drum beats that I was learning for that week. Mm -hmm. And I remember instead of playing on the hi-hat, I just went to the floor time and started writing on the floor time. And the, and the teacher being like, Oh, that's interesting. That's like that's that it doesn't say that. Why'd you do you know, or whatever? Mm -hmm. just, yeah. I don't know. It's just another surface right there. And of course mm -hmm. that was nothing new. There had been, you know, a, a billion records yeah, where sure. people had done that already, but I wasn't necessarily aware of them. So maybe I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you should edit that out. But I do remember <laughs> um with my high school band at like yeah. freshman or sophomore year taking a bunch of um uh, wind chimes and stuff like that and scraping them on a concrete floor and like recording foot stomps and doing a lot of weird percussion stuff mm -hmm. in high school for four track recording. So I think that was just kind of like yeah. from percussion ensemble, you mm -hmm. are required to play a lot of extended techniques and unusual things to get different, you know, tones and textures, okay. timbres out of mm -hmm. the instruments. So sometimes you, you know, that's when I was introduced to bowing things or scraping yeah. things or, okay. you know, just to get different effects and yeah. from marching band too. Um, and so I think that just like opened up the world to me like, oh yeah, there's a, a lot of different ways you can make yeah. sound. And it probably gives you a good barometer if you like you're going to jive with somebody if they, they're receptive to that too, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah or, you know, yeah. yeah and you, you must've had you know teachers that were, that were open to that too, you know, that encouraged that. I don't think I ever brought that into le like, oh, really? you know, for teachers, I just kind of okay. studied what was assigned okay. and kind of did that. But yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. that's. Man, what a world. What a cool world. Just to yep. be like, I'm going to try this out. And then you turn somebody on, like Jim O'Rourke. And then through Jim, you end up meeting Jeff. Well, I mean, Jim had already, you know, seen everything. <laughs> he had played with some of the, you know, greatest drummers yeah. at that time. And, all, and and some amazing improviser drummers. Mm -hmm. So he had seen, mm -hmm. like, all these extended techniques and different, different sound. Things that were, like, you know, light years beyond me. But, yeah, for some reason, I got lucky. And, yeah. and he called me. And then from that, yeah. That's so cool. Uh so you meet, you guys, if I'm remembering it correctly, the you, Jim O'Rourke, Jeff Tweedy, you do a, a improv set in, in Milwaukee. Did I make that up or is it in Chicago? Chicago. Okay. Well, they Trying played the Milwaukee Double Door. Too much credit. Double Door. Yeah. Okay. Lucifer. Were you there? Yeah. Really? Nice. <laughs> what was yeah. it like? It was incredible. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was the first time, obviously, that I had seen you. I hadn't seen you in anything else. And just looking at the kit and how you were playing was just like, holy cow. I mean, these, these are some cool people. And I think that was, that was just a three-piece show. So mm -hmm. it was yep. the Noise Pop Fest. I've talked about this before, but just to think, reiterate it. Did the Aluminum Group open for that Sounds show? right. I think yeah. so. But in, I think they just asked Jeff, they approached Jeff, yeah. who in Chicago would you want to work with? And he just went left field. He was a big fan of Bad Timing, yeah. which is a masterpiece record. It's a great Jim O'Rourke. Yeah. And I was yeah. playing with Jim at that point, you know, okay. recording Eureka and that stuff. Um, and so Jim was like, oh, I have a drummer I want to bring along. And so he just brought me up to the loft. And luckily I was, I was playing... Um, quietly um, <laughs> i was able to play quietly i think from from some of the singer songwriters i'd been backing up you know mm -hmm. um with bird dog i played mm -hmm. a two-piece kit and i played brushes most of the time or edith frost so i was able to play quiet jeff like that and and we just all hit it off all three mm -hmm. of us hit it off and we rehearsed for i think three or four days got all those songs together did the show and then wanted it to keep going so went into the studio that next week um Oh, I'm forgetting Acme Studios. It's no longer there. I'm Belmont mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. near Lincoln. Um, 
and went in there and, and recorded the first Lucifer record. It's a great album. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then, so at that point, Jeff's like, hey, you want to come play in Wilco? Like, no. I know, no. No? no okay. Not, he's, no. he's already got a drummer at that Yeah, point, I know. He's so. got a drummer. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah I think Fantastic, I remember you said we went drummer. to the, uh-huh. the, the music box when you did, we, they played I'm Trying to Break Your Heart there, mm-hmm. and you were there and spoke afterwards. And I, I, I could be totally misquoting you, so if I do, I apologize. You said that you didn't know you like had the job when you went there and, and like started playing when they like had the recording, like, you know, the film crew going. Yeah, basically. So a couple things led up to that. We did the loose fur record and then we ended up playing a couple shows in uh, at St. Anne's Warehouse in New York. And Darren Gray joined us on bass for that, mm-hmm. who I w- had been playing with in Jim's band. Okay. And by that point, had started my longtime duo with him on Fillmore, mm-hmm. which we have another record done, and the can will be... Nice. Awesome. It, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and another half one done. And wow. a, an improv record. Oh, my God. Wow. Chris Corsano that we're also... <laughs> You're busy, man. ...shopping. But anyway, no, some of these are like... That, that improv record is 14 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> getting around to finishing it. The Fillmore record was basically done before the pandemic we're just getting around to yeah anyway um did that show and then jeff had me he was i don't remember the sequence there were two two events that happened he was recording um a soundtrack for ethan hawk's film Uh, Mm -hmm. chelsea walls and so you know wilco did some of the music already Mm -hmm. and they had i think even filmed some stuff in it um but he was doing the incidental music yeah and so he brought he asked me if I wanted to go to New York. I was already going to be in New York to play with my friend Tim Barnes because mm-hmm. we were doing a percussion duo. Um, we had a couple of records together. And so I was like, oh, I'm already going to be there. And I was like, okay, great. So mm-hmm. I met him in the studio and we made that soundtrack. That was one thing. And then also uh, I went to see him, uh, Mitty, my wife of 25 years, and, here, and we went to see Jeff do a solo show at the Abbey. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and right. at the Abbey and he we went to say hi backstage and he said like will you play tonight let's yes. go grab some drums so we went in his <laughs> car went to the Wilco loft which was not far mm-hmm. and picked up just a, a, a little kit and brought it back yeah. and that was I played the the whole set with him yes. of oh, wow. Wilco songs not knowing uh, <laughs> most Wilco fans <laughs> probably you know more to hate me to hear this but um yeah i really didn't know my wife Mitty had being there and one of the discs was lost so i literally knew one side of (laughs) one disc of being there is the only stuff i'd heard um so what was your favorite song on that i'm just kidding (laughs) yeah but jeff uh jeff was like you know we all we had such a great time hanging out and stuff it was like yeah let's go so he was just playing songs i was playing along not knowing Mm -hmm. the songs and i think he really liked that yeah Uh, because it obviously brought something different than he was used to playing them because i didn't know what i was doing um, and so I think that was my, um, unofficial, unintended <laughs> audition, yeah. but then he asked if I would play percussion and I knew John by this point and everything. And he asked if I would play percussion on, on the record they were working on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And so I had, you know, a cassette of demos mm-hmm. of some, you know, various forms of completion, maybe a dozen songs and was coming up with, I had vibe parts written out and percussion parts and all these like, you know basically just percussion parts to add to them. And then when I showed up to do those right after my 30th birthday, um, that's when the camera crew was there and he pulled me aside and said, Hey, will you join the band? And like, no pressure. Yeah. Totally from left. Field. Uh, you know, oh. and I think it was like, you know, the record, you know, Ken, Ken Coomer is an incredible drummer and mm-hmm. musician. Um, but I think the band was going in 
different directions and Ken didn't live in Chicago at that point and I think there was just like a you know some maybe a, a musical rift happening mm-hmm. and and I think Jeff just thought that um, that my musical sensibility would help would fit better mm-hmm. with this the way he wanted the record to go and so yeah so I went in and started playing drums but also did all those yeah. percussion parts which is just why there's percussion all over that record yeah it's amazing. the floor tiles mm-hmm. and hubcaps yeah. and the piano super balls and all the flo- you know all the weird stuff was was there some was it kind of an immediate attraction to like jeff's process like how he did things and the way he approached music were, were you drawn to that or was it like oh this is another gig for me no i didn't think of it as another gig because actually by that point i had kind of stopped playing in everything else mm-hmm. um you know, there was a brief period in 98 after I was married. My wife got transferred to the Bay Area. And so I moved out with her there um, for six or eight months. And then we came back. And so for that, and when I got back, it was just kind of like, I was just happy, so happy being married and, mm-hmm. you know, in love. Mm-hmm. And like, so I was just like, I don't want to spend all my nights away. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of stopped playing with everyone and stopped touring, I think basically, except some bird dog stuff, Jim O'Rourke, and I was just going to teach and it was mm-hmm. cool, you know, and I was going to do things. I started making solo records, yeah, uh, recording my first record. So I was like, I know I want to do these things instead of being, um, the mercenary yeah. guy around yeah. town. Yeah. Right. It was right. like, no, I just want to concentrate on my music or music that I felt I was contributing a great deal to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that was also a, a, an appeal to Jeff because I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, the guy around town playing yeah. with every band. You'd have to share but, you with everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and it wasn't the mercenary mentality, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, the process I did. Yeah. I mean, it was just so easy. The loose first stuff was so easy and so loose and open. And it was just like, you know, Jim's made the reference and Jeff just, it was like turning on the, the, the faucet, you know, <laughs> just turning on the spigot and the water just, mm-hmm. just, the music just came out. It's like, okay, we just, it, it sure. really was effortless. Yeah. I didn't know really about any recording process mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. yet at that point other than, you know, get the tunes down. But yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So is that faucet being turned back on again anytime soon? I, you know, there's always rumors about Lucifer 3. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going to say, yeah, that, that it exists, that it'll be out at some point. Uh, you don't have to answer that. Well, no, no, there is. I mean, I've been wanting to, to finish that record for quite mm-hmm. some time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was in 2013 after oh, wow. a Japanese tour. Um, Jeff and I stayed over. And again, it was like classic <laughs> Blues Fur. No, no songs written ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Just in the studio, like you play a part, I'll play something like that. Cool, that works with this other part. Let's try that. But it, it's a song. Okay, come up with lyrics. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we have the music for all of that but the lyrics didn't come and then it was it's been kind of going back and forth between you know jim would add a little bit and then and then you know we would drag our feet for a long time sure and we'd add something and jim would drag it it was basically yeah Mm -hmm. i think it's it's going to be i've been trying to instigate it but i (laughs) have hope okay um jeff's on board jim's Mm -hmm. on board so i have hope that yes we will see the third loose for yeah. sometime and, in the next two years. I like it. Yeah. And if and if the record comes out, that means maybe some shows too. At least I mean, in Japan, amazing, right? You have yeah, to get Jim to Japan. Leave Japan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's too busy with those Steam Room albums. Yeah. Love those. Those are so cool. They are. There's so much. Amazing. Yeah, it, that's like I I don't play an instrument, but when I read him talk about his process, I'm like, wow, I'm like even further out of my depth than I thought <laughs> right. I was. I think the, most of those are just like they're just 
he sets up a situation and goes yeah. with it. They're not, there's not editing. But he was talking about like some he, performances. He wrote, for one of them, he wrote like some code yeah. that he like inputted and then like whatever music yep. came out of it. And I was like, man. Right. Yeah, that's even further away from what I would be capable of doing. But yeah, which I think <laughs> good was on kind him. of a similar process to his uh, record, which I love. I'm happy and I'm singing in a one, two, mm-hmm. three, four. Yeah. It's all electronic. It's incredible. But yeah. Uh, so uh, how long did it take you to feel like you'd been accepted by the rest of the band? Like uh, there had to have been some initial tension like, oh, this is Jeff, just like Jeff's like friend he's bringing in versus like somebody the rest of us fed it. Or was it the process like everybody was on board right away? Well, John's just so cool and laid back. I think he was, he was, he was cool with it all. Jay was actually, I remember being enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, oh yeah, we can do this now. Or, you know, he just wanted to, he was always wanting to try new things. And, mm-hmm. and I think, so he was receptive to the idea. And Leroy at that point was more of just a touring musician, mm-hmm. even though he played on the records, he did play on the records, but I think he wasn't necessarily a full band member. Yeah. Um, and so, and also we pretty much abandoned almost all the old stuff. Like it was yeah. a pretty uh, drastic cut when mm-hmm. we started playing shows live. Like I remember Jeff saying like, no, nothing from AM. I don't want to play <laughs> Casino Queen. I don't sure. want like we would do, you know, Misunderstood or, yeah. uh-huh. or um, Out of Sight, I'm sure. But, uh, and then after Jay was gone, we didn't touch Summer Teeth material for a long time either. So it was mainly like being there in Yankee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then slowly, that's all crept in. Obviously, sure. got a lot of songs to, uh, to dust off for the I, next month or this month. I guess. That's yeah, a, actually, like a very like fruitful period for the band and for Jeff himself. Like, did it feel right away? Like, oh my, this stuff is amazing. Did it take you a while? No, you don't have to say this. Did it take you a while to warm up to it? Like, was it something that you recognized right away? Like, oh wow, this is like a really big creative step forward for us for him. I remember loving the music. Mm-hmm. But also thinking two things like, oh, this, this, I love this record. I wouldn't change anything. Um, I was, you know, uh, fine with all the record label drama because I'd never been on a major label. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't care. It was like, right. oh, great, sure. put it on an indie right. label. Who cares? Um, but I did think Wilco fans would hate it because I didn't think it sounded like previous Wilco records. And mm-hmm. I didn't at that time know that Wilco fans are in it for the long haul and that, you know, they're just as curious as we are as musicians and very accepting of, you know, new twists and turns in the band. <laughs> absolutely, like, absolutely. Of course you lose some, some people who just want it to always sound like sure. Uncle Tupelo, but right. for every one of those that goes, you get three new people in who mm-hmm. are digging the direction. Mm-hmm. Of the band. Yeah. So I think from that, um, I just thought people would, would hate it. And I also didn't think they were like, I was like, Oh, there's not like a, you know, an, uh, a, a hit or like a single on it, like yeah. a, like a out of sight that just jumps out at mm-hmm. you. And it's like, Oh, this is such a catchy mm-hmm. tune. You could hear on the radio. I was just like, this is an amazing record. I love it. And it's my kind of record, mm-hmm. but I don't hear those two things, you know, Wilco fans digging it. And yeah. I don't hear it being commercially successful mm-hmm. at all. And I don't know anything. I'm, I would be the worst artist relation guy. <laughs> guy. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I was wrong about both those. But I guess, well, not the hit. Kind of tech, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you, a different kind of hit. Yeah. 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 Jesus, yeah. I guess. Kind of, uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. And heavy metal drummer. I mean, that got radio play. Yeah, that's true. Uh, sung near and dear to your heart, I'm sure. Thinking back on those high school and middle school bands. <laughs> uh, how has the creative process for the band evolved, if it has, I assume it has, over, over your duration in the band over the past 20 plus years? I mean, 
it's still kind of different every time we get in the studio, mm-hmm. you know, depending it's, we, you know, get bored easily, I think. So we try not to do the same thing twice in a row. Mm-hmm. We just mix it up. Like it was really nice on cruel country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be back in the same room playing all the songs yeah. live together and like, Oh wait, can you change this one little thing on that and redo it all together at the mm-hmm. same time? That was amazing. Cause we hadn't really done that since, I mean, sky blue sky was written that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, all in a circle together and rehearsing parts and coming up with new parts together and like actually writing the record and recording it all at once. And I guess some, you know, every record has some songs that are recorded as a full band, but a lot of them, you know, before Cruel Country, at least like Ode to Joy was largely tracked separately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I tracked almost all of my percussion on that, um, on my own because I don't even play a drum set really on that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all percussion. Um, same thing with Star Wars and Schmilko. Not much of it was done mm-hmm. as a full band. So mm-hmm. it was nice to do that again. And of course, now the record we're working on, it's more it, just the way it is. It's uh, the way it's evolving. Um, it's not feasible for us all to yeah. be playing at the same mm-hmm. time on all of it. So we, we're always switching things up that way, like who, who we use, who we work with, mm-hmm. what studio. Like we'd switch that a lot. We've been pretty pretty solid at the law for the last many records but yeah um, we're still finding different ways to to mix it up for ourselves and kind of get us um uh out of our comfort zones i guess yeah that's and and correct me if i'm wrong but when we talked a couple couple months ago like i think you were actually working on a another record like before cruel country came along yeah and and so you you know you were already doing that and then jeff had this like we're doing this and, and which turned out great. Um, but you know, it's kind of like we, we see them when they come out, but you guys are working on it on a, like a different level, you know? Yeah, no, we were working on this record and, and, um, and it was really coming together, but then there was like, uh, you know, a song or two that we started tracking and it's like, oh, these don't really fit mm-hmm. with, right? with these other right. ones. And it was like, well, Jeff's like, I got so many more of those. And then we take a break or the, or then the, gosh, my timing is going to be off for this. But then the pandemic also, um, mm-hmm. Jeff was just, re- we did this thing where he sent a song a day for, I think it was 50 days wow. mm-hmm. and you know, right. I'd wake up in the morning, there'd be a text, there'd be the song and just a simple demo, you know, it wouldn't be a complete song necessarily. Mm-hmm. Some were complete, some were more like just ideas, but then typically what would happen is one of us, at least one of us would, would track on it. Like, it's like, okay, I have time today. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm home. I have nothing right. else to do, you know, <laughs> right. other than take, oversee the kids schooling or whatever. Yeah. So it's like. Um, I can, I can lay, I have a drum idea for this one and I would record something and so, and we would just kind of do that piecemeal. And so that was mm-hmm. a, a, um, a bank of songs that we had that, uh, we were working on. And some of it was like, well, we've got all those that fit more with this simplified, all of us playing together sure. and yeah. not trying to reinvent the wheel. Just, and so it was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, we, those songs just started flowing and the, the record we were working on got interrupted in cruel country. Mm-hmm felt right to everyone mm-hmm. it was yeah. going well sure. so yeah. we those songs just kept coming we made that one mm-hmm. and now yes we're back to the okay. other one and is it hard to get yourself back in the headspace that you were in a couple of years ago working on that no because no? it's it's okay. the tunes and you know yeah. i mean we're we're yeah it's there's such a, a musical trust and bond built mm-hmm. up after, mm-hmm. i mean this lineup is now i don't even know what it is 18 years yeah. together, right yeah like that, probably so it's yeah. like no it's just fun making music and at 
you know, at this point it's not, yeah, we're, we're condensing not, like 20 years of Wilco <laughs> yeah, into right. like 10 minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not life or death. It's not like, yeah. okay, we got to make right. sure this record's going to be, it's got to be better than the last one of the record labels going to drop us or, yeah. okay, we only have two weeks in the studio. It's like, no, we're at our right. own place. We have yeah. our own, you know, yeah. your own label. Doing You're our not going to get dropped so from your own like, label. Yeah. No. So it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's just right. make the song. If it doesn't end up on the record, no big deal. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, we use it somewhere else or not use it. Well, but, n- not to sidetrack the conversation, but yeah. it, you, simply because we just talked about like current lineup been in place for a long time. Like you guys have, um, you know, a, a tour coming up, you know, you're going to play some shows in Chicago, head out East. Uh, then you're going to Iceland, which we're going yeah. to, oh, which really? is going to be oh, awesome. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Um, but when you're getting ready for something like that, I mean, you guys all, you know, professionals been doing this a long time. Like what's the process like getting ready to go out on tour? Like, you know, you got shows in what, three weeks or something. Uh Um, yeah. How do you get together or 11, 12 Wilco albums into like, sure. You know, let's say 60 or 70. So, I mean, this tour, you guys are doing like no repeats. Yeah. No repeats. Right. On uh, the three night stand. Yeah. yeah, No repeats. Um, I mean, we've, I guess those residencies we did um, in years past where we played the entire catalog mm-hmm. um, got us ready. And, okay. and we do do multiple night stands, which we try to vary the set list quite a bit. So it's not like we're, you know, the first when we tour a record, we're not just doing that record mm-hmm. and then a right. couple other songs. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we did that with Star Wars, but, yeah. like, you know, we're we're mixing it up largely. And so, you know, you can get th- uh, three different set lists completely mm-hmm. different without a re- repeat and and i look through them and it's like oh yeah we've played most of these songs in the last year and a half okay. two years um so they come back pretty mm-hmm. quickly but yeah, yeah basically what happens is last week there was a tech sent with uh, <laughs> three proposed set lists and okay. anyone could chime in with additions or you know if anyone vetoed a song that'd be fine but mm-hmm. everyone's just like no it looks good to me so okay. then after that i'll just make sure is there anything i need to brush up on do i need to you know in years past i would really work on my um i try and get my endurance back up and all that mm-hmm. but i also know now like i i play every day so it's like that's not an issue mm-hmm. yeah um it's more like just you know if there was something super left field that i would have to remember mm-hmm. how to sure. play and or make sure i have that piece of gear or something but at this point there's so many songs that um, <laughs> we don't need to to yeah. reach down to the super depths of obscurity <laughs> right, to, right, to right. fill out the yes. three nights yeah. without yes. repeats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I read somewhere this kind of aligns with what you just said, where Jeff at one point said like, yeah, you know, there are certain songs that will resonate with me at a different point than other times. Like I'm really enjoying playing reservations right now. Are there songs that you're like really looking forward to playing? Or are there songs that you feel like the band is, has altered and done interpretations of that? You're like, I love this song right now. Like I'm so excited to play this song. I mean, I've always had a weird ad. I'm sure that exists for the other guys, but I've always had a weird, like most of the songs I can get into. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if, if I have to, I'll just go um, microscopic on it. Okay. And I'll be like, okay, if this is a song that d- the drum part does not challenge me at all, mm-hmm. and we've played it, you know, 400 times, <laughs> I can still be like, okay, but you know what? This time I'm just going to try um, and put a little more pressure on my fourth finger on the right hand wow, and do wow. this or, or well not i mean like you know i'm not like sitting there thinking the whole yeah. song but it's like maybe i'll adjust my 
point is I'm, I'll adjust something with my grip. Mm -hmm. Loosen my fulcrum a little bit, hold back more with the back fingers, mm -hmm. swing my hand a little bit more, see how that feels, see how that affects or mm -hmm. just try different fills or like, you know what, I'll play it traditional or match grip or, um, you know, just little things that happen live every night anyway that yeah. it's how the songs evolve. Um, mm -hmm. You just try different things and it's like, oh, that felt a lot better when I used, uh, you know, a side to side motion as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, a vertical motion or, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, burying the beater into the head, the bass drum, instead of letting yeah. it bounce out or playing heel down instead of heel. Like, there's just so many different combinations to keep it, like, mm -hmm. uh, to get something useful out of it. But yeah. at the same time, you know, like I said, I'm still just getting into the, it's such it's such a joy to be able to play good music yeah. with good lyrics, yeah. with amazing musicians, yeah, absolutely. and then have people out there who are receptive to it. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like hard to, even if it was a song that I couldn't stand and the drum part was lame and I still would probably totally get into yeah. it just because it's like, I see people out there yeah. who are into it and that's, that exchange is is uh, it's very contagious. Real. Yeah. I love this this idea you said. <laughs> like, okay, we moved back from San Francisco and I was really excited to just like settle down and, and teach drums. Then you joined this band that's like famous for touring like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had reservations yeah. at first. Oh, I, I see what you did uh, there. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, because I didn't want to, you know, leave my wife all the yeah. time. And, mm -hmm. and touring is always, it's a double edged sword. You know, it's still like, for me, it's the worst part of, of, the band um and it's amazing too you know I, mm -hmm. I love going to different cities i love seeing different audiences playing different rooms um getting to travel and get paid for it it's yeah. incredible but at the same time it's you know i hate being away from my kids and my mm -hmm. wife mm -hmm. um but it's a necessary part of the job um you know yeah absolutely it's just something yeah. a part of it but it's it's one of those just you know it's an amazing thing that also yeah. sucks right sometimes it's like, you know like, yeah everything else is an a plus and maybe this is just an a so it's the worst part but still amazing yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's more yeah. more the effect too that you know it has on you know it's just when you have a family mm -hmm. unit it's not easy to just mm -hmm. extract yeah. right someone for yeah. three weeks and then you know yeah. insert them back and hopefully you know Everything went well right. when I was gone, and everything. You know, my <laughs> right. wife travels yeah, for exactly. work too, yeah. so it's like it's a it's yeah. a difficult juggling act. And you know, if I if I had my way, I would I would tour all the time with my family. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> Wilco's not you know <clears throat> Aerosmith or something like that, or you know <laughs> where we can afford to you know take our families along mm, or sure. you know whatever. Right. So yeah. it is what it is. But that's you know, uh, yeah, I. I Sound like I'm looking at gift horses. No, no, not at all. Well, in the, the, the different the, perspective, the economics are going to be somewhat different yeah. from for for Wilco than many bands. But like for most bands, like touring is where you're going to make your money. So yeah, well, it is for Wilco. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like okay, at least um, you know, I'm 52, 52 now. It's like I'm not touring in a van. At least like that's great. Right. You know? <laughs> right. I don't yeah. have to do driving shift. I yeah. Personal. I don't yeah. have to have a roommate. Uh, you know, in hotel rooms. So it's like. Yeah. You know, could be a lot worse. It's a shame. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask yeah. who your your dream roommate in the band would be. <laughs> <laughs> totally no, kidding. Luckily, so, yeah. uh, so it, talk, walk us through like a typical day when you're not touring, you're not recording. Like, just like, hey, I'm Glenn. I wake up today, and I just, what do you do? Like, do you? I assume you play drums every day. Oh, I don't really. You, you don't want to bore your listeners. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's like family stuff. You I wake up, kids. you know, Do you have like dedicated time every day where you're like, okay, from two to four, I'm going to practice. No. Okay. I, I do. 
I wake up before the family and I'll, I do have like some like regular things like, you know, stretching or going out mm-hmm. and playing because I know that that's time that I can just do it without a worry. Okay? Sure. But then there's always a bazillion errands and getting the kids out the door, mm-hmm. lunches, all that sort of stuff, dinner, you know, house stuff. There's, you know, endless responsibilities of just being a, a, an adult. But I do carve some point during the day, mm-hmm. almost every day, some time to go out and play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm not out playing, uh, I'm, you know, in my practice yeah. practice studio, I'm at least writing or working on my next solo record or mm-hmm. listening to mixes for this or that. So yeah. something or mm-hmm. reading, uh, you know, something related to or listening to mm-hmm. something I wanted if I'm researching yeah. something yeah, so for that a was, record. That was going to be my next question. Like, uh how do you decide what you're going to work on? Like, are you writing every day? Uh, do you like, how do you decide like where to, to put things and like, okay, this is an album versus like, I'm just messing around. It's tricky. I usually follow my whims. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think I'd be a lot more productive if I didn't, if I did carve <laughs> out the same time sure. every day and, and had a, you know, set like, and I do have goals. I have, I keep, I'm a big list maker mm-hmm. you know so it's okay. like i know i want to do this 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 but i don't always adhere to it you know yeah. if i go out to you know i i, I release a beat every week um, yeah. that i i post so if i'm like okay i need to come up with one this week i'm gonna go out and play but then all of a sudden i go and i come up with like six different ideas and one of them is like really intricate with kalimbo or crotales and it's like oh even though I'm meant to go work on my record, maybe it's going to take a little bit to work that out because yeah. it's like, oh, mm-hmm. this is something I can't physically do. I want to learn how to do it, so I'll challenge myself and I'll teach myself to do it. Whereas other times, it's like, oh, cool, I was out here for two minutes, I recorded a beat, boom, done. Yeah, I'm going to go. Sure. I'm going to go work on that. You know, this idea for a composition I have mm-hmm. inside and go to the piano or something. Does is it like pretty easy for you to decide like, yes, this is something I want to bring back to the band versus this is something I want to do on my own. No, because uh, I imagine they're very different. Yeah, and listening to your solo the songwriter is very in the, different. In the you know, in Wilco, yeah, um, and you know, all this stuff like on Fillmore is pretty clear cut. Like, mm-hmm. uh, if I write something, I'm like, this would be good for on Fillmore. Okay. Whereas mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is something, you know, I I'm actively making a solo record right now, so it's mm-hmm. like those mm-hmm. ideas are going into that. Yeah. Or I'm collaborating with with um you know a few different people, so it's like you mm-hmm. know I'm, I'll know that like this idea is going to go for that record. Yeah. Or this record. Uh, do you find that you are in demand a lot from people? I know you've contributed to uh, records from a couple of people from Radiohead, like amongst various other people you've worked with. Do you get a lot of requests or are you pretty selective with what you're doing? I know before you're like, just give me everything and I'm going to do everything. Like, how do you decide what you want to work on now? I mean, I mainly work on my my own projects, but mm-hmm. no, I don't get a lot of requests. And it's like, you know, I hope it's not me. I think it's living <laughs> in Chicago, you know, yeah. as opposed to living in New York sure. or, or LA. And I think it's also being a part of a um, an established band. So yeah. I'm not known as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I love when I do get those calls okay. to, go, mm-hmm. to go out and record with Sam Beam or First Aid Kid yeah. or whoever, you know, or, you know, even local stuff. I love that. It's oh, great. Once this show and, gets out. He's going to get a lot, a lot of calls. calls. Yeah. yeah. No, it, yeah. It, and when it comes, it's great and it's cool. But okay. um, I, I do protect my time too. Yeah. Like I also right. know like, you know, I'm right. not just, you know, I, when I'm off the yes. road, family first. And yeah, I'm absolutely. Try, try not intrude on that time. Yeah. And, and also I don't want to get burnt out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, well, because Wilco speaking requires of protecting a lot of time. his time. Yeah, speaking of protecting your time, we're going <laughs> to yeah. shift to some Chicago, Chicago themed questions. questions. Yes. Feel free to add as much or as little context yes. to these answers as okay. you want, okay? This is the speed round. This, yeah. this, this, this is how we wrap up every show. Yeah, this, is, this is how we figure out uh, this is the where your mind's at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Chicago style pizza. There's thin, thick crust, there's deep dish, and then there's like tavern style thin crust. Are you more a thick or a thin crust pizza fan? Thin. In fact, I will go so to the extreme that I love um, St. Louis style, like the super cracker okay. and thin crust. Wow. Okay. But I mean, I rarely have met a pizza I don't like, but I would mm-hmm. I, I go for right. thin instead of thick. And, okay. Um, yeah. And if you haven't read um, Steve Delinsky's book on Pizza City USA in Chicago. I have not. Pretty, I'm, I'm doing the tour this summer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I co-hosted a tour once, but oh, it's like, sweet. there's, you, um, you know, a myriad of different Can, styles yeah, yeah. just in this city. Yeah. Can yeah. I request you on our tour? Uh, that was a one-time promotion. <laughs> thing, yeah. I still want to take one. I have Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, uh, I wanna... where's without giving too much away? What's your your favorite thin crust spot in town? Oh, it's always changing, but I mm-hmm. do love that. It's not super thin crust or anything, but that place crush is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I like the Lou Malnati's thin crust. Yeah, uh, Marie's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. liquor store. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. that. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of great yeah. places yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. I like variety. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There are mm-hmm. some that I used to like a lot that closed down and have mm-hmm. gone away, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a dual question, but also be as simple as you want it to be. Maybe the same. Uh, where is your favorite place to play venue wise in Chicago? And then where's your favorite place to see a show here? I mean, it's always, I always have a great time when I play, um, the hideout or mm-hmm. constellation, yeah. Yeah. but mm-hmm. you know, like with, Wil- with Wilco at least, uh, that's a good question. I mean, Millennium Park's pretty cool. Yeah, but, yeah, you guys sound great there. You know, in in Auditorium Theater when we did those Yankee shows, I yeah, love that because of the history mm-hmm. there. And I won't go into that too much, but basically, the you, you totally William can. F. Ludwig, yeah. uh, who invented the modern bass drum pedal, was in the pit orchestra at the Auditorium wow. Theater, and that's basically where wow. you know they they kind of attribute the the birth of the drum set with that invention even though there were pedals before wow. that wow stuff. that's but, really special but then. that's kind of in knowing that it was developed on that stage yeah. uh with him in the pit orchestra yeah mm-hmm. pretty cool when i played that's there. amazing yeah um but also i love yeah i don't know like you know the ribs always fun and so is the vic and chicago theater is gorgeous mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to nail it down to one what about um to go to a show go to a show I've seen some good shows at, at uh, Talia Hall, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm trying to think. It's a beautiful space. Yeah. I mean, I was at some good shows recently at the Riv, but I'm, uh, you know what? Old Town School of Folk Music is mm-hmm. a really nice place mm-hmm. to see a show because yeah. there's not a bad seat. That's in, true. In the, yeah. In the place. That's a really great place. I've to seen see you play show. there. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were great. Oh, thanks. My friend uh, thought you were playing at the hideout and we had a ticket for him and he's like, Hey, I'm at the hideout. I don't see you. And I was like, well, no, it's at Old Town. So he caught, he caught like the last 10 minutes, but he's like, oh, that was amazing. No, that was stressful. I remember I had to do two full sets of just percussion yeah, music. Yeah, man, you were great. Uh, what, you've, you've touched on this a little bit, but what do you think makes Chicago a unique music scene? Or just what do you think makes it unique? I don't know. Like I said, back back in the day, it was that there was a lot of collaboration amongst different genres mm-hmm. and different types of players, and it was a very open um, place like that. And I still that, 
I st- that that still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ever since having kids, I'm not in touring <laughs> sure. a lot. I'm not like you know mm-hmm. going out nearly as much as I would like to to see shows. Um, you know, just because the realities of, right. of life. Right. Um, what was the question? Uh, just you, you nailed oh, what's it. Unique it's like, what's it? unique? Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah, also a wide variety. Just yeah, I think, yeah, I think know? it's just it's still there's a really great collaborative spirit, yeah. even yeah. amongst you know the generation younger than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Who are some of your, excluding bands and musicians you played with, uh, who are some of your favorite Chicago bands? Oh, man. This is where I always panic at these questions because uh-huh. I don't want to leave out. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Cause, and there's also bands who were here that are no longer here. Yeah. But, you know, some of the stalwarts, of course, like, you know, I've always liked Tortoise. Mm-hmm. You Love know, Tortoise. Any of those projects. I was a big isotope fan Mm -hmm. back in the day Mm -hmm. um you know um a lot of the stuff that drag city puts out yeah i'm a big fan of even though some of that's not chicago music i guess um i'm actually a a huge fan of a lot of the individual Mm -hmm. music like the improvisers yeah Mm kind of the whole scene that that revolves around constellation Mm -hmm. mike reed's place there's just an incredible cast of, of, of guys and women and people here that are just really doing cool things um yeah um let's see of course you know 11 dream days yeah yeah amazing um friend of the pod mark yeah i'm going to be playing a show with girls of the golden west coming up oh Last nice Very cool. sort of big sadie i mean there's just so yeah. many great bands like mm-hmm. of course all the the fringe stuff you know spencer's the whole yeah. world and, right. and liam and seema's and you know mm-hmm. all those projects are really interesting and cool um ohm Definitely. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, no, they changed their name. Yes, I'm yes. sorry. It is now Phenom, right? Yeah, I, I actually, Phenom? I just know they changed it. Shit, you're going to have to edit this. <laughs> but I love... Uh, Phenom, F-I-N-O-M. I yeah. love, there you go. love that band. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen them There's open. that band f- Dead, too. With the yeah, D-H-D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm just trying to sp- pass a spelling test right now. Sorry. Yes, there you go. <laughs> and honestly, like some really young ones, like, um, you know, Horse Girls yeah. opening. For yeah, they're us, opening for you guys. Like right. Lifeguard. Yes. Uh, the, the, you know, yeah. younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, yeah. Um, those, are, yeah. yeah. You should check out OK Cool. Like I think that. you would, they, okay, they cool. would, you would okay. dig them. Yeah. Um, what have you been listening? You kind of touched on this. Is there anything that's been standing out that you've been listening to lately? Uh, yes, I've been kind of nonstop. Um, she's a she's a Korean um, kind of noise beat artist. Okay. Um, Heejin Jang. So it's H E E J I N and last name J A N G. Um, Korean mm-hmm. uh, female artist living in New York, but uh-huh. um, really really cool stuff yeah it's right up my alley like that's what i i love listening to a lot of really um kind of noisy uh-huh. driven electronic music yeah especially like stuff from germany and cologne sure um but uh th- this is super cool i love it at least um yeah that and i've been working with this uh, i've actually been kind of so immersed in my own stuff but mm-hmm. i've been working with this um singer um elena setian from spain she's on thrill jockey so I've been listening to her a lot. Um, yeah. So awesome. That's great. Awesome. Um, off the top of my head. Two questions to go, unless you have one. No, no, no. Okay. It's all good. Wow, um, that one made me sweat. I'm <laughs> <laughs> leaving someone off. I am so sorry that we did that to you. Yeah. Uh, we don't like to give people questions ahead of time, but maybe we should start giving people that one ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I should have used my pass. I so I saw you just <laughs> pouring yourself a little drink right there. Uh, 
we are huge fans of cheap drinks here. Like you saw, I just took down a high life. What is your go-to favorite cheap drink? Cheap drink? Yeah. yeah. Cheap drink. Um, old style. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I still have the, uh, you know, it's the nostalgia from, from sneaking one or two. That's what my dad would, <laughs> oh. would have. He'd have one, you know, he'd, he'd, they're drinking he'd a 12 pack in the fridge for, mm-hmm. for the Bears game. He'd always yeah. have one on Sunday for the Bears game. And I would always, in high school, sneak, maybe sneak one or two. <laughs> so I have that nostalgia taste for it. Nice. I hope my kids don't hear that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not some of those things yeah. you can fill up with water to make them think you didn't have any, right? Uh, so the last question is, what are you excited about uh, coming up that you're you're involved with? So you guys are about to go on on tour. You're going to be not only touring the U.S., you're going overseas, you're going to be going to Europe. Uh, besides that, what are you excited about? Things you want to promote. Yeah, anything you want to plug? Well, I, I mean, honestly, I'm just at the point right now where um, I have a lot of things that I haven't had a proper release in a long time, like mm-hmm. maybe since 2015 or something like that. Is that I've been writing the entire time. And recording the entire time, so yeah. I have a backlog. I said, you know, the On Fillmore record is done; it's mastered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the a collaborative record with Chris Corsano, Nels Klein, Darren Gray. That's done. Oh, that's gonna be good. The, the re- collaboration I've been doing with um, Elena Setian. Mm-hmm. Um, I recorded tracks for the Girls of the Golden West record. Um, I have my solo record that is almost done. I have uh, another composition-based. Um, Sounds pretentious, but it's like a mini symphony that's totally done. Wow! So oh, that's, that's cool. Something that's really I have cool. to get recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also forgetting. I know there's a couple other things that are coming out or will be out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I can't believe I'm not remembering right now. Oh um, yeah, so just for three, it's a that's backlog was, right? of things right. that will be seeing the light of day finally, yeah. and I'm excited that that's happening. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm excited for these residency shows mm-hmm. because also the way that they're lining up with our spring breaks all being different from my wife and my two kids. My wife's a professor, yeah. So yes. and Dean, but um, they're lining up, so my son will be with me in New nice. York. My whole family will be in Iceland. Nice, oh, great. Be here in Chicago, so Whoa. I'm really looking forward to those shows, and um, yeah. Well, well, we'll see you in Iceland. We, we won't bother you. We'll, we'll see you. <laughs> okay. uh, um, I just want to say thank so, you. So, 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 oh, so yeah. do all those projects have, have labels lined up or you need some labels to step up? I mean, do we need to recruit some people? No, I don't here, have anything or? lined up. Yet. Okay, come no, on, No, we're people. just at the point yeah. where I'm like realizing like this is done now. Okay, right. it's actually done. Right. This mix, I approved right. this. This is done. It's finished. So, so if, um, if, 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 if some, and, you know, who do you want, who do you want to put it, put it out on? I mean, who should oh. we get lined up here? Come on. <laughs> No. People, question. people, people, I don't know. Let's, see. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's get some responses yeah, to the we'll show. See what we can, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what we can line up. Good. Uh, well, I just want to say thank you so much yes. for taking the time. Yes. Uh, it's been a real pleasure sitting down yeah. and talking yeah. with you. What an amazing yeah, it's a thing. dream come true for us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Really, truly. You got to uh, have bigger dreams yeah. than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this oh, one's we, achievable, we, right? We, so your childhood we got, self we, would be we very disappointed in you right Yeah. It doesn't have better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Just thank you so much means yes. a lot um really yep. looking forward to seeing the shows you know yeah, in chicago yeah. and in iceland yes, over exactly. the next couple of weeks to yep. a month yep yeah, sounds great thanks yeah. great to be here nice yeah, chatting with y'all thank you thanks so much for listening today we are no wristbands we drink for free music of course has been provided by merlin wall please check them out on spotify or on Bandcamp. please also subscribe to our podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at noristbands.com.